Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Love in Basketball podcast. I'm your host, Adam Gerlach. As always, thank you so much for being here, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. The Love in Basketball podcast explores servant leadership on and off the court, seeking a fuller picture and deeper understandings of this vision for leadership that holds people and results together. I'm deeply saddened in witnessing the events of Wednesday, January 6th, with a mob incited by Donald Trump and backed by Republican leadership storming the Capitol building. This has been a tragic day to witness. In a time where those called leaders are bringing about the death, division, darkness, and diminishment of others, a more life-giving form of leadership is needed. Robert Greenleaf's best test of servant leadership asks, Do those served grow as persons? Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely themselves to become servants? And what is the effect on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit, or at least not be further deprived? In his later writings, he even amended his best test to provide additional provisions against harm to others. As he wrote, The intent of the servant, as I see that person now, is that as a result of any action he or she initiates, no one will knowingly be hurt. And if someone is hurt, there is a scar that henceforth will endure to be reckoned with. Hurting people, only a few, is not accepted as a legitimate cost of doing business. This podcast is centered around servant leadership in the world of basketball. But the principles of servant leadership go far beyond the basketball court. And at this time, we may need servant leaders and more servant leaders now more than ever. Today's episode is a conversation with Ben Sanders. Coach Sanders is the video coordinator for the Long Island Nets, the Brooklyn Nets G League affiliate. Coach Sanders has extensive G League experience, having also previously served on the staffs of the Rio Grande Valley Vipers and the Windy City Bulls, including serving as an assistant coach with Windy City last season. Coach Sanders previously served as a video coordinator at the collegiate level and also runs his own basketball analytics service, Benjamin Sanders Hoops Analytics, which you can check out at bshoopsanalytics.com. I found this to be a conversation filled with openness. Coach Sanders' experience at the collegiate and professional levels have exposed him to many different forms of leadership. Our conversations so far have mostly centered around an individual servant leader, and in this conversation, we hear Coach Sanders' perspective of having also received more diminishing forms of leadership from ego-driven leaders. He highlights that we help others to be servant leaders by being servant leaders ourselves, and that his shift from an inward focus and mindset of self-preservation to servant leadership came in part from the empowerment and servant leadership he received from others. He also highlights the power of humility, genuine communication, and finding joy in the successes of others. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Ben, I'm so grateful to be with you here today. Uh, we've had parts of this conversation maybe over the years and I've enjoyed connecting with you on your perspectives along your journey. We'll dive into it right away. Uh, this is the Love and Basketball podcast, exploring servant leadership on and off the court. When I, what does servant leadership mean for you? Um, to me, 
I think servant leadership is kind of the best way to, um, to get buy-in from everybody in your organization. Uh, to me, it's, it's leading from a place of humility. Hmm. It's being able to put your ego aside, um, and empower everybody around you. Um, I think if, you know, we love in the basketball world, we'd love the buzzword culture. Right. And I, I think sometimes we throw it around and, and use it too often, but if you are going to create a culture, um, you want one that, um, brings everybody up, lifts everybody up, uh, rising tide raises all ships or however the phrase goes. Right. Um, but I think oftentimes, uh, for a leader to do that, they've kind of got to, got to lead from a place of humility. Um, and I think that includes making sacrifices. Uh, sometimes they can be big, sometimes they can be little. Um, but, uh, one of the biggest things about all of that is that it has to be very genuine. Um, if you're not, if you're not genuine, uh, if you're, um, kind of faking it to, to try and get something out of people, uh, I think they see through that. I think it, I think it ends up being too transparent. Um, but that's, that's where I would start is, is that it's about humility and it's about sacrifice in order to empower everybody around you and lift everybody up. Hmm. Yeah. The, the word that I kept hearing from you is there, there is humility. Um, what is, what does humility look like for you? What does humility mean for you? Um, that's a good question. And I'm glad we're talking about it. Cause I think it's something that we, we like, we throw around the word humble all the time now too. That's another <laughs> buzzword. Like every time somebody has success, it's like, Oh, I'm humbled by winning this trophy or whatever. And, and I, mm. I think we lose some of the meaning in it in that. Um, to me, humility is, um, is, is I kind of said a second ago, it's, it's putting your ego aside. It's, mm. it's being able to say, um, I'm not above anybody else. Um, right. I'm not more important than anybody else. Humility really kind of stems from maybe willing to take a step back and put your wants and desires behind what's best for the team. Right. Um, you know, a tangible example might be, I really want to be the guy to install the offense. Right. I really want to be the guy that runs this drill or that drill. Uh, but sometimes what's best for the team is that um, one of the other coaches does it. Maybe he's a little bit better at it, or maybe he needs to develop at it. Whatever the case may be, um, it's, it's being able to say, you know what, um, that's okay. I don't need that to feed my ego. Um, I need to do that. I need to put my desires aside for what's best for the team or what's best for one of my teammates. Um, and, and genuinely not – letting that bother you. Mm. Uh, I think uh, oftentimes a healthy amount of humility uh, can help you deal with your insecurities. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Ex explore that further for me, if you don't mind. So oftentimes I think insecurity stems from uh, your ego. It stems from wanting to be um, thought of in a certain way, um, wanting to have a certain amount of importance, wanting your voice to be heard, all that kind of stuff, right? And um, the more that those things drive you, the more that those desires drive you, the easier it is to maybe 
be offended by not giving a certain responsibility you want or not getting the proper, uh, what you think is the proper amount of respect. It's, it's, uh, insecurity is a, can be a real tough thing to handle. And I think there's a lot of it in the coaching world in the basketball world. Um, because we're, we're in a constant state of competition, right? That's Hmm. why we do it. We want to win. We want to be the best. We want to, everybody wants to have a, a ring. Everybody wants to hang banners. Everybody wants to have a winning record. Um, it's, that's the easiest way to measure success, right? In the most traditional sense of sports is your wins and losses. So as you're constantly striving for competition, you're constantly desiring to be the best. Uh, there, there comes insecurities with that. It, it can be hard to, uh, handle failure. And Is there an example that's coming to mind for you? Maybe along your own journey, um, you know, that, that you've seen where, you know, maybe, uh, your insecurities drove you more, your ego drove you more than, uh, than humility perhaps. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure there's a million cases and I, I, maybe my defense mechanism is blocking some of those out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, uh, there most certainly have been times where, uh, I find myself feeling that maybe my voice wasn't heard as much as I like it to be. Hmm. Uh, maybe it's sitting around in a staff meeting and saying, Hey guys, I think maybe we should play this guy more or, Hey, I think maybe we should, um, maybe this should be part of our game plan and somebody comes back and, and maybe they either brush you off or, or, um, don't acknowledge that idea. And I have found that when that's the case, when I feel like I don't have any input, I think sometimes I get defensive. Mm. Um, next thing you know, you want to kind of vent to the guy next to you and be like, man, he do not know what he's talking about. He never listens to me. But, and like, and that could be, that can be dangerous. Attitude is contagious, especially a negative one. And the last thing you want to do is start, speaking poorly of anybody on your staff, especially amongst those on your staff. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's, to me, that's where, um, my, my insecurities, uh, have manifested themselves in the past is maybe feeling like my value is underappreciated or my competency is, um, is not necessarily seen. You know what I mean? Like every, everybody yeah. wants to be valued in their, in their organization. So um, I've, I, in the past, that's something that I could let ruin my day and, and maybe ruins my focus for the rest of that day. And you know, you ruin your focus, your productivity, all that kind of stuff. Maybe you let it get you grumpy. You start treating people differently um, the rest of the afternoon, whatever the case may be. Um, but that, that to me is, is, where my insecurities have stemmed from in the past is, uh, is am I, am I properly valued? Hmm. Hmm. Um, and, and again, going back to humility, I think over time I've gotten to the point where it's like, you know what? I don't have to be in a constant state of proving myself. Uh, I'm confident in who I am and what I bring to the organization. And I have to accept that there are a lot of voices in the room. Sometimes my voice and my opinion is going to, um, is going to be a good one that the head coach 
uh, appreciates and utilizes. And sometimes it's going to be the other guys. Mm. And if I'm competing with the other guy, then we're having issues. Like we're not going to set ourselves up for success. We're not each other's opponents. We need to be um, lifting each other up. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing you almost put two things on opposite ends of the spectrum here and correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm not understanding this properly. Um, I feel like on one end we have maybe the ego driven leader uh, who wants their voice to be heard, um, who might have an overinflated self of, of importance, who is acting out of a place of uh, recognition and that those things are driving them. Was I understanding that part correctly there? Yes. Yeah. I, I do think there are a number of people who in a, a place of leadership is like, Hey, I finally made it and I'm the top dog in the room hmm. and they want people to know about it. Hmm. If, if you're in that role and you're insecure, oftentimes your defense mechanism is to keep people in their place and hold people down so that they can't get to your level. So, so yeah, awesome. So I'm hearing you say that the ego driven leader backed by insecurities, uh, diminishes the voices of others in the room perhaps, and always wants to look important rather than elevating others. Perhaps what is the, what drives the servant leader? What's dri- what drives the leader with humility on the opposite end of the spectrum? Perhaps what might you see differently from the servant leader? Uh, I think the servant leader is, isn't uh, starts with understanding that every person in the room is valuable Hmm. provides value. Um, now they can all provide value in very different ways. Um, you know, what your video coordinator brings to the table is not going to be the same thing as what your head coach brings to the table. Uh, we're not going to expect the same thing out, out of an assistant coach as we are an athletic trainer or a strength coach, right? We've all got our roles. Every role is valuable. And if you take one of those pieces out, all of a sudden we've all got to pick it up. We've all got to adjust. And so understanding that everybody fits together, everybody helps each other out. Um, and, and the head coach has to be part of that. The leader has to be part of that. Um, I have found in my experience that the guys that I enjoy working the most with are the guys who are self-reliant um, you know, I, I came up, um, through video roles. I was always kind of the low guy on the staff. Right. Mm-hmm. And the video guy in a lot of ways carries a ton of weight for a program and, and technology is, is helping out where that role, uh, is maybe less and less, um, kind of leaned on. Uh, more more assistant coaches can kind of download their own games and they're already coded, all that kind of stuff, right? They don't need this and that from the video coordinator every single day. But through my um, coming up in this business, there was a constant, I'm always making sure everybody has what they need and looking after all of them. Well, um, an assistant coach who doesn't need my help that takes just a little bit of load off my shoulders. A head coach who doesn't need my help with this or that takes a little bit of a load off my shoulders. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And so um, the self-reliant guys are in a lot of ways, they may not be just directly adding value and reducing stress of those beneath them. Um, but by not asking for more, by not needing help to do their own job, they're actually lifting a little bit of weight off their subordinates. Um, uh, stress, I guess, or, or load. Hmm. Um, and so I think it's important that um, a head coach or a leader is able to recognize that and recognize the stresses of the people in their position hmm. in order to know uh, how much you can put on their plate, what the important things to put on their plate are, Right. As we're all trying to mesh together and succeed in our roles, it's important to know what those roles are and what you can, what's a reasonable amount to expect from them in that role. Yeah. Yeah. What about, what about that is important to you? What, what about, you know, being able to recognize the, the stresses of others or maybe being aware of others' needs? That, that might be another way that I look at that there. Um, what, what about that is important to you? Uh, for leadership or for the servant leader? Well, in a high stress environment where performance, uh, high performance is the ultimate goal, right? Hmm. Yeah. Um, in order to get the most out of your workforce, your team, your staff, um, it's, it's really important to know what they're facing, right? So um, let's say a guy on your staff has um, has kids at home and one of them's sick. And so it's tough for them to, uh, maybe they got to show up to the office a little bit late. Um, cause they had to make sure, um, you know, juggling health, uh, childcare and all that. Maybe they got to leave the gym early to get home. If I, as a head coach or, um, or as another assistant coach on staff can recognize that the, the stresses that they're dealing with that day, all of a sudden I can pick them up and make sure that there's no drop in overall performance amongst our staff. Right. Hmm. I don't want to let his, um, his struggles or his, um, his challenges of the day drop the performance of our practice when we get with our players. So if I can say, um, Hey man, you take care of your daughter or your son. Um, I will uh, take your, the, the guy that you were going to work out with before practice. I'll take care of him. I'll go rebound and pass for him. Um, you take your time getting in. Um, focus on what you need to focus on. Maybe it's after practice. No, you get home to your kids, and I'll stick around with the players on the floor. Um, you know, that's one example of just kind of like being aware of what's going on in their life so that you can pick up that slack. Yeah, right? and, so, and so my question with this is why even bother with that? Why not just say, hey, this is the work that needs to be done. You, you got to make it happen. You know, maybe this hierarchical or command and control style of leadership. Why even bother with um, being aware of, of that other person's needs when you could just say, you got to get this work done. And like you said, it's high performance, so performance matters. Um, what, what happens with an approach where every person in the room provides value? What happens with an approach when the leader is aware 
of other people's needs? Um, I think it may, first off, it makes it an enjoyable place to work. Okay. Right? Um, I'll use this last season as an example for us. We had a stretch maybe after Christmas uh, in, through early January where we lost maybe nine out of 11 games, I think. Hmm. And in any, um, in any program, that's going to be tough, a stretch like that. Uh, staying positive, showing up to work every day, ready to go. Um, we had a staff this last year um, led by Damian Cotter who we made it our mission every day to not let our performance, our results from the night before or the last game affect the way we approach that day. We, we owed it to everybody in the gym to get better that day. Hmm. Um, and it's, it was much easier for us to do that because we enjoyed working with each other and we enjoyed working with our players. Hmm. And so if you're able to do that, um, it's easy to endure those hardships. If you really enjoy the good times, it's easier to endure the hard times, I think. Hmm. Um, I told Matt Brazi when I was working with him in RGV, he was our head coach in RGV. This was three seasons ago. Um, I was having the time of my life in, in RGV. It was, it, was the, uh, it was a new experience for me, my first year in the G League. Um, a, a, just a different feel and culture and, and style of coaching and all that kind of stuff. And I told him one time, man, I'd rather, I'd rather lose with you than win with anybody else. Hmm. And that's a, that's a powerful feeling. Um, it, it really is because it, it makes it – your bad days aren't as bad hmm. and your good days are great, right? And um, if you ha are able to – perform in that environment or work in that environment where uh, it is so positive. Um, I think you're going to be more productive. I just think, I just think that's, I think when we are uh, enjoying ourselves, we're more productive. It's, it's, it's simple as that. in in a lot of cases. Yeah. What I was hearing in your response there, Ben, was that when not just the leader, but everyone in the organization um, is, sees everyone else as providing value uh, and is aware of others' needs, that there is a higher level of sustained performance um, when, when that's the case. As in your words, the good days are great and the bad days aren't as bad, uh, rather than maybe this uh, up and down of uh, really bad days or really good days, that there's a higher level of sustained performance um, with um, – you know, with the approach of the servant leader based in humility. Was I understanding that correctly from you? I, I think that's a, a maybe a more clear, clear and concise way of putting what I, what I was trying to say. And, and we had that we had where our results fluctuated, our uh, performance didn't, our effort never waned. Our players played hard, no matter if we won the last three games or we'd lost the last eight, they, um, and that's a lot of credit to our players. Um, and uh, again, that's because we showed up every day willing to work and willing to get better. We, um, 
and we, we enjoyed the process of it. I think, I think enjoying the process of it, um, matters. And, and I think part of the reason I personally enjoyed the process was that I was being trusted by my boss hmm. with uh, a level of responsibility that I felt uh, was appropriate for my role on staff. Um, it was uh, a level of responsibility that helped me grow. And it was a level of responsibility that was easy to take pride in. And because I had that, man, I want to show up every day and just and do my best at it, right? Um, I also think I approach it from a standpoint of um, no matter how my day's going, no matter how my week's going, I owe it to my players hmm. to help them get better. And uh, again, credit to Damian Cotter. He showed up day one uh, in, in Windy City and he said, uh, we need to leave these players' careers in a better place than we found them. And he preached that to us day in and day out. Like, what are we doing to leave their careers in a better place than when they showed up here in Windy City? We wanted everybody, to those that it was attainable to go play in the NBA, that needed to be our goal was, like, let's give them the maximum opportunity um, that we can to play in the NBA. For, for the other guys where the NBA is a little out of reach, Let's get them an opportunity to go play overseas. Let's get them a better job next season so that they can go make more money and support their families. And when you have that mentality that, hey, four losses in a row doesn't, doesn't stop us from needing to get these guys better and improve their careers. Yeah. Um, it makes it pretty easy to show up every day and say, hey, man, uh, we got to get to work. We got to get better. And – then when you do see results, obviously that, that, that does make it even easier. But enjoying the process um, <clears throat> definitely, definitely helps everybody through that process. Hmm. I heard that statement from you. I owe it to players, to the players to help them get better. Uh, servant leadership is often associated with an inversion of the pyramid. As Robert Greenleaf, the modern founder of Servant leadership says the servant leader is servant first, then conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. The, in this instance, I'm hearing that the players make the coach, that the coach doesn't then make the player. Uh, I owe it to the players to help them get better um, rather than the players owing you to work on their game for you. I, I definitely uh, see that approach or that mentality um, and, and most every, um, coach that I've worked with at the professional level. Hmm. Um, and, and part of it is you're kind of forced into that a bit at the professional level, right? So you look at the NBA and you see if it's between James Harden and Mike D'Antoni, D'Antoni's out and James is the guy, right? Hmm. So Mike, Mike D'Antoni has to approach it in a way, um, that puts James Harden and the rest of the players first. And, and, Maybe a better way to look at it is um, last season we played 43 games uh, before the season got cut short. I never made a jump shot. I, you know, I never got a defensive stop. Um, it's, it's the players who did it. 
And so we have to give the tools to the players to make the most um, of their opportunities to get, we have to give them the best opportunities to succeed. Um, and, and to approach it any differently, I, I, it's tough. It's tough to do. And I, I know uh, we talk a little bit about old school coaches, right. Um, who, you know, the way I was raised in the high school coach I played for um, and the middle school football coach I played for, those were, those guys scared me straight. They were disciplinarians who just beat the bloody hell out of me until I, you know, was kind of molded to what they wanted. Right. Mm. Um, I would not have ever run through a wall uh, because I love them. I would run through a wall because I was scared to death of what would happen if I didn't. Hmm. And there's a difference there. There really is a difference. Yeah. What's the, what's the, what's the difference? Well, uh, so you and I, you and I have talked about this before. Uh, one is a mindset of self-preservation. Hmm. I'm going to do this so I don't get yelled at, so I don't get benched so I can keep my playing time. Right. Uh, versus, um, doing what's going to give us the best chance of winning. What's, what's going to help the team first and foremost. So I I've been in a role in my career where if we lost the game, I could, I could still be happy and relieved that all the film worked just fine. And I had it on coach's computer. He didn't have to wait for it and everything was tip top. And at the end of the night, I was like, well, we lost, but at least I didn't get yelled at. And that's a crappy attitude to have as a, as a staff member, right? Yeah. I'm also hearing there that, that there's a, a real kind of inward focus or an inward mindset from you in that environment where in a team where we're trying to be aware of others needs and, uh, and recognize that every person in the room has value and come from a place of humility that an environment of self-preservation also caused you to turn inward that then eroded perhaps the relationships or the connections amongst the staff or amongst the team. Was I absolutely understanding so that correctly? If you, if you have that um, inward focus and self-preservation mode, you're less likely to um, kind of bring somebody in with you. Right. And, and attack it together. Um, I've, I've seen a staff, a college staff where um, every assistant coach uh, was trying to bring in their players, uh, their recruits, um, and it almost became a recruiting competition against each other. Hmm. Uh, then, then once the players get on campus, it's my guys versus his guys, like fighting for who should get playing time. And, who, and it, it gets ugly and it's not fun. Um, but more importantly, how can we be that way as a staff and then expect our players to have each other's backs? Hmm. If I've got a point guard, let's say PJ Dozier, we had PJ Dozier this year in Windy City. And he was a joy to coach. And he probably had a couple of frustrating nights because a lot of the game plan was around stopping him, right? Mm -hmm. So he probably has a couple of nights where his numbers aren't great and he's a little frustrated. There's a little added pressure for him because he uh, was on a two-way contract with Denver and he's trying to finally make that jump to an, uh, to an NBA contract. And he would come out of the game maybe frustrated with his own play and he'd sit there 
And then as soon as the guy who subbed in for him made a three, PJ's up off the bench and clapping and rooting for this guy and genuinely caring for this guy's success Hmm. because that's what was best for the team because it raised the team, right? Yeah. And so how can we expect that uh, fantastic behavior from PJ Dozier if we're not exhibiting it ourselves, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any coach that doesn't love watching film of the game the night before and seeing their bench go nuts for their players or seeing them run across the floor and all – all four or five guys on the floor are picking up the guy uh, who just took a charge, right? Like we want uh, our players to be good teammates who celebrate each other's successes. How can we ask that of our players if we're not doing that of ourselves? Yeah. So what are some of those qualities that uh, maybe you want to be asking of yourselves uh, of yourself? What are some of those qualities that you want to be asking of your players and of yourselves that are more associated with, Uh, You know, maybe if we have self-preservation on one end of the spectrum, we have highest potentials on the other. What are some of those qualities that are required if we're on that highest potentials side of the spectrum? I think empathy is a big one. I think trying, uh, we're we're not all great at empathy, but you have to at least be trying to understand where the people around you are coming from. Um, I think uh, selflessness um, trying, you know, putting other needs, uh, above your own. Uh, one of the, one of the best examples, um, that I've seen is, uh, Gennaro Pargo and Henry Domersant, both guys I worked with in Windy City. Um, Gennaro Pargo played 13 years in the NBA, kind of bounced all over. Like that's a hell of a career, right? Uh, Henry Domersant was, uh, second team all Euro League, um, along with Juan Carlos Navarro, um, and behind Andre Karolinko, and uh, had an incredible 13-year career in in Euro League. Right? These are guys who have big-time careers. These guys have have competed at the highest levels and been incredible. And when it was time to pack up all of our equipment and the opponent's locker room after an away game, both those guys had their hands in the dirty laundry, packing the bags, getting putting shoes in the shoe bag, helping picking up trash and straighten chairs. And, and that was, that was real selflessness. That was, Hey, I'm going to do what needs to be done. Even if it's not like glamorous, enjoyable tasks. Right. But as Henry Domersant always says, many hands make the load light. Hmm. Why would you not, trying to help lighten somebody else's load uh, because if we collectively do it together, we're, we're all going to get this done quicker. We're going to make somebody else's job easier. And that's this, that's just a couple examples of the selflessness that I think uh, is important. And it's, it's really kind of hard to be both uh, selfish and to put the team first. Hmm. Uh, So I think the selflessness becomes very important as you're uh, trying to put the wants and needs and um, goals of the team ahead of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard empathy, I heard selflessness and thanks for diving into that like awesome example of, you know, uh, helping out with the laundry or moving the bags or something like that. Uh, What else is on that best highest potentials side of the spectrum as opposed to the self-preservation side of the spectrum, maybe what other qualities? Um, communication, being able and, and being genuine. I think genuine communication kind of the, 
those two are, are kind of a great combination, right? What do you, what do you expect from people? Um, if you can clearly communicate what you expect from people and then hold them accountable to that, I think it goes a long way. Um, I think communication doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, if you're not being honest, right. Mm. Um, I think, uh, being trustworthy is a, is a trait, um, that you would ask of, of everybody on your staff and your team. Right. Um, if I'm not genuine and I'm not honest, my players aren't going to, aren't going to trust me. And, um, the older your players get, honestly, it, age is probably not actually that relevant. I think yeah. little kids can pick up on it too. If you're not being genuine, people are going to see right through you. And if they don't trust you, um, you're not going to get the same level of buy-in. Um, I think um, sincerity and genuineness come, just, they, they go so far in creating that buy-in. Um, if you're trustworthy, uh, I think sometimes you can get some vulnerability out of your players. Hmm. Uh, they're willing to, to maybe put their ego aside or they're willing to open up to you. Um, I think if you're, you're genuine and you communicate well, a player might come to you and say, coach, I'm struggling with my role. I'm not, I don't fully understand what I can be, what I need to be doing or what you want from me. Um, and then if a coach is, um, able to put his ego aside and say, okay, you're right. Maybe I, maybe I didn't do a great job, uh, and, and defining your role for you or empowering you. Right. Um, hmm. and, uh, then you can have an open dialogue between the two of you and then your performance, both of y'all's performances can be lifted. Right. Yeah. From that point forward, that player knows his role better and can excel on the court by having a better understanding of that. And in the future, you as a coach understand, here's how I can communicate that better to all the other players as well and future teams and down the line um, so that I'm getting more out of everybody. Right. So hmm. by being vulnerable and open and genuine and trustworthy and communicating, uh, you can raise not only your own performance, but those around you. Yeah. I love that. I love that example um, that you just shared of uh, communication and vulnerability, openness, trustworthiness. What was coming to mind for me as you were sharing that Ben, uh, was the genuine, vulnerable, honest communication addresses the reality of the situation. Uh, and, you know, we can only move towards the vision of where we're trying to go. We can only create the results that we truly desire by starting from reality. Uh, and that genuine communication addresses or gets us to a common understanding of the reality of the situation. Absolutely. I we can always coach more effectively if we're able to be real with our players and tell them some hard truths. Hmm. Um, I think uh, one of the easiest ways to do that or to, to build up that, um, that rapport with your players is, is by serving them. It's by getting on the floor and sweating with them. It's rebounding for them. It's coming back later that night, turning on the lights and, and rebounding and passing for them. It's jumping in a drill and us uh, providing some kind of dummy defense or, um, or, or live defense that, that pushes them and gets them 
benefiting more from that drill, right? If I can spend that time on the floor and really sweat with those guys, a lot, a lot of people call it sweat equity. If I can do that with those guys and they see that I'm willing to invest in their success, then when it's time to tell them something they don't want to hear, they're hearing it from somebody who's invested in their success. What's the difference between that and manipulation? That's a good question. To me, manipulation has such a negative connotation and I don't know uh, another great word or explanation around it. So I feel like I'm almost using the same word in the definition, but um, I, I don't want to have to manipulate somebody to, to get them to do what's best for the team. Um, I would rather very directly sit in front of them and communicate, here's what I need from you. What's the best way to get this? You know, what's, what's the best mm. way um, that I can help you do this? Or what's the best way um, to uh, get your buy-in, right? Or to get a better effort for you, whatever the case may be. I think um, in order to have those conversations, you, you kind of got to know your players. You got to know a little bit about them, what drives them, what motivates them, uh, where they, where and when they feel comfortable. Um, th those things help. Uh, knowing their learning style is important. Um, we can't expect every player to be learning the same way. We can't coach every player the same way. Taking the time to – invest in knowing who they are and a little bit about them it helps uh you don't have to go uh meet their entire family and and get beers with them on the weekend or, or anything like that it's as simple as hey we were just on the floor for an hour together working out um you know how, how's your family doing oh you're from south carolina right yeah what do you have brothers and sisters cool all right and and uh and who lives with, here with you in chicago you know, um, st you know, how was your experience in college? How'd you like playing for coach so-and-so, you know? Um, oh, what, what didn't you like about him? And then like, next thing you know, he's telling you how he doesn't like to be coached. Right. Or, Hey, what did you like about, um, you know, playing for coach so-and-so at wherever. And they're like, Oh man, he was the best at blah. And say, like, okay, well, he likes a coach who does this. Maybe uh, I know this approach to coaching, right? Um, but I, uh, you know, going back to your manipulation thing, uh, manipulation is dangerous because if they can sense that you are manipulating them in any way, that can, that can really bring down the trust level uh, and damage some relationships. Yeah, so, you know, I, I imagine the, the situation where, a younger coach, or I imagine myself as a younger coach, when I heard the term sweat equity, uh, it was then, okay, I'm going to go sweat with the guys so that I can get them to do what I want or need mm -hmm. them to do. Uh, I think that's what I mean when I say manipulation. And we entered into this kind of, uh, this, uh, this turn in our conversation. Um, you know, what, what I go back to in my mind is that saying hard truths, What's important about hard truths for the servant leader and what's different about uh, what's different for the servant leader in this expression of hard truths 
as opposed to the ego-driven leader, perhaps? So I think the importance of hard truths is we all need to hear things we don't want to hear. Um, every, every last one of us does. That's how we get better um, in a lot of cases, right? Uh, nobody, nobody really wants to be criticized. I think over time we can learn to appreciate constructive criticism. Um, and again, it helps if it's coming from somebody that you know and trust and have a relationship with. Um, hearing a hard truth from somebody, you know, cares about you. It's easier to, to digest that. Like they're telling you this because they think it's honestly going to help you in the long run. Uh, hearing a hard truth and it, it, the message oftentimes from the ego driven leader can get the message can get lost in the delivery. I've seen some ego driven leaders lose their credibility um, to those they're trying to coach because there's just not that respect there. And they know that that message that you're receiving, if I'm, if I'm receiving that message from an ego driven leader, I know it's more about doing what's best for them. Whereas if I hear it from a, uh, a servant leader who has taken the time to build that relationship and who genuinely wants what's best for me, then I know that that advice is probably what's best for me. Um, and is going to uh, help me out. Um, What's the place from which a, dis- a servant leader delivers a hard truth? Um, I, I think it needs to be delivered from a place of um, genuine desi- desire to see that, that person or that player improve. It has to come from really wanting what's best for them, wanting to see them succeed. Um, I, I told one of my players this year, um, and I, I think this helped our relationship when we had this open dialogue. Uh, but I told him, man, like your successes are my successes and your failures are my failures. And, and I don't mean that in that your performance reflects on me. I don't mean it that way. Hmm. The, what I mean it is when you have success, it makes me feel good and I, I feel happy for you. And when you f- fail, I hurt for you and I feel for you. Um, and that, that can come very genuinely when you've spent enough time with somebody. And I'd spent at that point, um, you know, half of last season and then the majority of this, or excuse me, two seasons ago, half of two seasons ago and the majority of last season with him at that point when, when I'd explain that to him and it, it came from a genuine place and he could tell that. Um, and I think he appreciated that he had somebody um, who had his back and was looking out for him. And uh, now I can, I can 100% confidently say I was not the only one on the staff that way. I think our staff this last year was great and, and genuinely uh, had all of our players' backs and wanted to see all of our players succeed. Um, but, uh, you know, I 
probably spent a little more time with him on the floor. And so it had a little extra meaning because I had invested so much of myself in him. Yeah. And w- and what did you see that was different in that player maybe um, as a result of being with him um, from a genuine place of care for his best interests? I saw him uh, kind of trust my criticisms a little more. Um, I saw him uh, appreciate me celebrating with him more. I think, I think he felt, felt that those things were real. Um, I think, I think it, it also gave him uh, a little confidence in knowing that um, my appreciation for him or my uh, want for his success was not dependent on his performance that uh, whether he Mm. had a bad game or a good game, I was still going to show up the next day ready to, to work. Right. Um, And so I think um, I think it, I think it did help his confidence knowing that he doesn't have to make every single shot for me uh, to want to vouch for him the next day. Yeah, what what other qualities did you see develop in him maybe when, you know, when uh when you came from that place of gratitude, appreciation, genuine care, et cetera? What other qualities did you see develop within him? Probably a little more openness. Hmm. Um a little, little more open to to criticism, a little more openness to hearing his what his teammates had to say about him. Hmm. Um might have followed in that. Um, I, I can't tell you that he worked any harder or played any harder as a result because his effort and energy was always top notch. Um, but oftentimes in basketball, you see, you see a switch in the, in a player's confidence. Yeah. And man, sometimes that can make a world of difference. Right, it's it's unbelievable what that can do sometimes, and he had a point in the season, and and I'm taking no credit for this. This is not because of this conversation or anything like that. Um, but he had a he had a point in the season, uh, where man, he had a big game, and the rest of the season he was a different dude. Mm. It just confidence was through the roof, and um, I you know. The majority of the credit goes to him for that because he worked all he worked for every bit of that. Um, but our, but our staff as a whole kind of saw that potential and um, and really fostered that. Um, so it, it was fun to see that that click. Now he also is the type of player that um, when he is really excelling he then holds his teammates accountable um, in a more like slap on the butt, like, yo, we need better from you kind of way. Mm-hmm. Whereas when he's struggling and he's feeling a little insecure, all of a sudden he holds his players accountable in a, come on, man, what the f- are you doing? You know? Mm-hmm. And so um, perhaps he was, uh, a better teammate as a result of his confidence raising. Um, and, and again, I'm not 
I don't want to take any credit for his confidence um, at all. This he he earned every bit of that through his own hard work. But um, I do think that our conversation um, maybe maybe gave him the the knowledge that uh, or or maybe relieved some pressure from him on his performance when he went into a game, knowing that he doesn't have to go in there and uh, go three for three from three for us to continue playing him. Right. Um, That all he has to do is go give a perfect effort and we'll keep playing. Right. And he get in, he's that guy. He gave a perfect effort every single time. So, um, but I, I, I think when a player knows you have their back, it helps quite a bit. We had another player this year um, who, was kind of down on his luck. Uh, shots weren't falling and, uh, he kind of got buried a little bit in the rotation and, um, just showing up every day and saying, Hey man, I believe in you. Let's keep working. Uh, and then he, he found a way through his own hard work and grit that he got out of that slump and, and started excelling again. And, um, you know, so, sometimes it's just letting these guys know that you're there for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then if once you say that, you got to be there for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When he wants to get in the gym, you got to be in the gym. You know, if he wants to get some shots before practice, you got to be able to get up shots with him before practice. Uh, you can't you can't have empty words. It, uh, it goes back to being genuine. And uh, I think uh, on a fun kind of lighthearted note on being genuine, we, our head coach, uh, Damien, was – is, is an Aussie. And so he would always use kind of Aussie slang with us. And so at the beginning of the season, he, he talked about being fair dinkum and he said fair dinkum. And all of us were like, okay, it's easy with the, with the Aussie BS, man. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, because he, he just throw out slang and we laugh at him. Well, he kept talking about fair dinkum and really what it boiled down to is fair dinkum is about being genuine. Um, if you're being fair dinkum, it means you're you're being genuine. You're giving hmm. a genuine effort. You're being uh, if you're being a fair dinkum bloke, uh, it means that you're being a genuine guy and you're you're doing what's right. You're giving your best effort and all that kind of stuff, right? And so it was funny at the beginning of the season, like ha ha ha, fair dinkum sounds funny, and then it became something that our guys like really bought into. Hmm. Um, and and there was a lot of times Damien just. If we're having a bad practice, uh, maybe our guys are throwing the ball all over the court or the effort's not great. He'd bring the guys in and say, hey, what do you guys think? Are, are we really giving a fair dinkum effort so far? And they could then speak up and be real and say, no, we got to do better. You're right. We got to do better. Hmm. And we get practice back on track, right? Hmm. Um, but it was it was letting guys know we expected you to be fair dinkum. And and, and everything you did and um but that doesn't fair dinkum doesn't mean anything if damien's not fair dinkum you know if our staff isn't fair dinkum like we can't ask our players to be that if we're not going to be that ourselves um so i think that's kind of where the servant leadership is is like um we put our egos aside to say hey um we we got to be 
what we expect other people to be. Yeah. Something that, uh, something that I've heard from you in this last, uh, in the, in the last little bit, you know, especially when you talked about the player and noticing the shift in his leadership, um, when he had more confidence, uh, picking guys up, slapping them on the butt as opposed to cussing them out. Um, and then, you know, with, with Damien as well, this notion that we help others to be servant leaders by being servant leaders, uh, ourselves. So, um, I'm glad you, you've, uh, phrased it that way. I'm a big believer that, uh, attitude is contagious. Um, I think if you, if you're a real positive guy all the time, uh, you're going to kind of raise the positivity in the room or, or with those that you touch. Um, I think negativity is extremely contagious. I think it's even uh, maybe a little more contagious and, and, and dangerous, right? But servant leadership kind of falls under, under that positive attitude in a way and that, that it is a contagious positive thing that you can bring to a program, right? So if I go back to Henry Domersant uh, helping clean the locker room and pick up shoes and all that kind of stuff, if, if I'm sitting in the office – and our intern pokes his head in and says, Hey guys, um, I, I'm sorry. I'm taking so long to do this. I've got to do knock out this, this, and this, right? Well, if Henry Domersant steps up and gets up from his desk and walks in there to help him, how can I sit at my desk and watch him do that and think anything other than, yo, I got to go do that too. I got to go mm-hmm. help too. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he does it. Then Martin Ranchik, one of our assistants who also is a, a good servant leader, he gets up, he goes in there and helps. I get up and go. Next thing you know, we've got six guys doing something to, to help lift our intern so he can get on to his next task, right? Hmm. Um, but it's because an example was set and everybody wants to live up to that example. So it's contagious in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, as I'm hearing, uh, as I'm hearing you describe the story, the quote popped back into my mind from Robert Greenleaf: "The servant leader is servant first. You have this example of one of your assistant coaches who went and helped one of your other players. Uh, he didn't, uh, you know, um, or went and helped one of your other staff members. He served first, rather than uh, criticizing or." Uh, holding accountable or some of these other maybe leadership behaviors that we would normally associate with someone in a hierarchical setting, he served first and then that helped others uh, to do the same in that setting. So that, that quote, the servant leader is servant first really popped into my mind there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and oftentimes just to, you know, play on the words a little bit, sometimes being the first servant, encourages others to follow you in that way. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of times the easiest way to tell somebody to do something is to go do it yourself. Right. Hmm. So if we got to take all these equipment bags down and load the bus, it's much easier for me instead of saying, Hey, uh, will you guys make sure to grab bags? It's way easier if they see me grabbing bags. Right. Um, that's, that's just kind of a simple little thing. Um, it's, it's leading by example. Right. Um, Mm. and so if you constantly see people like Henry going and, and serving other people in that way, um, 
you find yourself doing it much more frequently. And um, since I've been at the professional level and I've kind of been out of my self-preservation mode, uh, I've seen the behavior around me um, really reflect servant leadership. And um, when I was first seeing it, it's like, man, he's so good about that. Like, I got to be better about that. And it was a conscious effort to try and be better about that. And if you do it enough, you eventually, it becomes second nature to just start helping people when you can help them, right? Um, so, but again, it starts with setting the example first and foremost, and then, and doing it. So, you know, starts with our, uh, our head coach, Damien, Damien would always exhibit, uh, that behavior and lend a helping hand and uh h is h has always done it and martin's always done it right um so as we collectively do it um your your players will start doing it um whether it's consciously or subconsciously um you know maybe sometimes i give players too much credit because this group of guys we had last year was just an incredible group of people they're just good human beings um but I do think that um, I do think it works that way, and so then you see your best player. I mean, that's that's where it really has a chance to take hold with your team is if if your best player shows that kind of stuff, right? Um, if your best player is treating your managers really well, um, or the ball boys, or is picking up after themselves then it makes it much easier for the guys down the bench to do the same thing. Right. Um, but it's our job in a leadership role to demonstrate that behavior, um, to encourage others to do it. Mm-hmm. What was a crossroads or, you know, an activating moment maybe, um, that led you to choose the path of servant leadership for yourself and for others? Um, so I mentioned Matt Brazi in, in RGV uh, when I first got my start in the G League. And what's interesting is I didn't, I didn't know Brazi before I even got the job. I was hired by uh, the GM, assistant GM of the organization uh, without ever meeting the head coach. It was a, it was a different experience for me. Mm. Um, but I got down there and I was really fortunate. I loved all the guys on the staff. It's, it's the closest thing I've ever had, uh, to, to a family. You know, we all preach family on every team, every staff. We all catch for eh, family on three, you know, it was genuine down there. And I saw it, it was, it started with Matt Brazi. He created a culture in which everybody was valued, um, in which, uh, everybody had an opportunity to, um, pitch in and help and coach and, and make everybody better. Right. Um, and like I said earlier, um, he kind of gave me the mentality that, um, I would rather lose with him than win with anybody else. Right. Mm. And, um, that meant I saw how I operated in that environment. So, 
what always stressed me out in previous experiences was the, the fear of um, kind of getting yelled at or disappointing my head coach or whatever the case may be. Um, I never wanted to be in, um, I, I hated being called out in front of other people or embarrassed in any way. You know, uh, I, I never want anybody to think less of me or my competency. Right. So uh, I felt like working for Brazzy that there, there was, there wasn't going to be that. So my stress level dropped quite a bit. I think that's why I enjoyed the experience so much. But probably the most important result of that was, man, I really wanted to kick ass for Brazi. Hmm. I wasn't trying to avoid any negative consequences. I was trying to work hard for positive results. Hmm. For him, for the rest of the guys on our staff, for our players and I saw how that leadership style of uh, empowerment and helping everybody out and lifting everybody up, encouraging everybody, being genuinely happy for other people in happy moments. I saw how that, man, I wanted to run through a brick wall for Matt Brazi in, in that moment. Right. And so um, what's pretty cool is, is, is he and I are, are good friends now. I think we always will be. Um, now that he's no longer my boss, we're just, he's just one of my boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everybody on that staff uh, is and, and always will be because of the positive environment that that created. Uh, helps that we were good. and you know, We had a really good team. Yeah. But um, even, even in some of the tough stretches where we lost three or four in a row, um, it was still, still an environment I wanted to run through a wall for my boss. So I then thought, well, how can I, how can I be that guy? Yeah. And yeah. so I haven't been in a head coaching role yet, uh, but I've worked for incredible head coaches. Um, Charlie Henry and Damian Cotter both been excellent to work for since Brazi. I, I love both of them. They're, they're always going to be my guys as well. Um, and because all three of those guys were guys that empowered me, lifted me up, encouraged me, and, and made me a better basketball coach, uh, I wanted to do everything I could to help them succeed hmm. instead of, like, take care of myself, right? Instead of just do well enough to get the next job, right? It was, no, I want to kick ass for Charlie Henry. I want to kick ass for like. So what, what was the crossroads that, you know, maybe if, if you imagine yourself standing at, at the head of a trail that has paths going in opposite directions. What was the crossroads that you were at in your journey, in your career, uh, in your leadership, where you turned towards this path of empowerment, humility, empathy, uh, and then what was on the other side? What, what was the other path maybe that you turned away from? So that's that's uh, where my mentality shifted and i yeah. said I, I need to be more like my brazi i needed to, i needed to empower the guys and and make them um want to succeed rather than preserve themselves the the other option was kind of uh what i'd experienced prior where um we were all everybody on staff was kind of self-preservation mode hmm. and um so uh, from that point forward, I had the choice. Could I lead through 
helping everybody around me? Or could I try and lead by constantly proving I was better than the guy next to me and that's why I should be getting a promotion or why I should get the next job or whatever the case may be. And I've found that by taking, taking the path of, of helping everybody around you um, and, and just doing things the right way and serving everybody on in the organization, uh, it, it works itself out. Right. Like your, your own career will work itself out um, and provide opportunities if you just worry about these people's careers. Yeah. So, um, so I think that's what it was is, is I had worry about my career, you know, worry about where I'm going in, in my career or in this very moment, worry about these other people's careers and how I can help their careers. Yeah. I might have a bit of a more background cause I've known you for a longer time here and I've known you from that place and probably helped uh, I, I hate to say it, but I probably helped to foster some of that self-preservation mindset or inward mindset when we worked together um, at Rice. Um, and uh, so I have some background here on, on this journey or on your journey that um, our listeners might not have. Um, but what I'm hearing from you and correcting me if I'm wrong here, Ben, is that existing in a self in a state of self-preservation created a sense of drawing on the worst parts of yourself uh, in that state. Whereas uh, moving towards empowerment, humility, uh, empathy, helped to draw on your highest potentials and highest possibilities. Uh, that has allowed you to flourish as a coach and serve others. Am I understanding that? Like, am I understanding that correctly here? Yeah, I think you are. You know, I, I mentioned a little earlier that when you're enjoying what you're doing, you're you're gonna be if you're enjoying the process, you're gonna you're gonna do better at it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you hear NBA players talk all the time, like, and enjoy the process, right? Kobe was always about enjoy, like you gotta. It's about the process, right? Um. I enjoyed the process more uh, when I'm helping the people around me succeed hmm. as well. Hmm. Um, I enjoy the process when I see that player flip that switch on and, and take it to the next level. Uh, I enjoy the process more when you see one of your former players uh, playing NBA minutes in the playoffs, right? Um, I enjoy that process when – uh, a, a, somebody you see as a brother, Mahmoud Abdel Fattah, get his first head coaching job in the G League. All right, the, the joy that you get when your when your guy Joseph Blair wins a G League championship as a head coach, even though you're no longer part of the organization, right? Like I get genuine joy out of that. Mm. Um, and it's it's because I played just a little bit of a role in there in their journey. Um, you know, I didn't help them win a championship, but I got to be with them the year before and, and developed that relationship. And so I found joy in his success. So finding joy in other people's successes, 
there's a lot of joy to be had if you're willing to be happy for other people, mm. right? If I'm only happy for my accomplishments, man, I haven't really accomplished all that much. I don't have that much to be happy about, right? But if I'm willing to be happy for other people's accomplishments, there's a lot more joy that like for me to have as well, right? Um, so yeah, I think, I think just helping people in general um, is a source of joy for me. I think donating 20 bucks to a charity I care about um, brings me joy. I think, uh, you know, picking up the tab for somebody you see across the restaurant that you uh, work with or that you're friends with, like that gives me joy. Just doing a nice thing, right? Nice gestures, right? That that gives me uh, joy and it, it makes me feel better about myself and it gives me confidence and uh, oftentimes a sense of purpose, right? Um. And so that translates in a, in a leadership style, right? How can I lift other people up? How can I give them joy? How can I make this a more enjoyable experience for them? Right. Um, you know, I, when I've had managers or, or volunteers beneath me that I can maybe impart a little bit of wisdom on or give them, maybe teach them sports code that'll help them out in the business or something like that that gives me joy to, to somehow give back to them in some kind of way. Um, I, to me, that seems like a pretty intuitive concept that we should all understand. Like I, I personally don't understand how you could do something for somebody else, like a meaningful gesture and not, be glad you did it and feel yeah. positive, right? So, like, so, so let's dive into that a little bit because obviously not everyone is a servant leader and servant leadership might not even be the most uh, dominant form of leadership in the basketball community, in the basketball world. What are the struggles, what struggles and challenges do you experience with exhibiting servant leadership coming from a place of empowerment, uh, being aware of others' needs, humility, uh, empathy, some of these things that we've talked about, you know, genuine care and communication, something that we've talked about here today. Um, what are the struggles and challenges for you in, in leading in this way? And, um, and maybe, you know, what, what do you see with others? You know, let's just start with that personal element. What, what are the struggles and challenges for you in leading from this, from this place? Um, so we talked a little bit about insecurity earlier. Hmm. There, there's always that, like, it's easy to it's easy to lead this way when you're seeing positive results from it or you know you're seeing it go well um you know i've i've been fortunate enough that we've we've had a bit of success in the g league but we, you know we made the playoffs in rgv we made the playoffs my first year in windy city last year we didn't make the playoffs but we felt like we were really accomplishing something by seeing all of our players grow. Like I think every one of our players got better last year and that in the G league, that's, that's really your, your primary objective above winning, which makes it a unique experience. Hmm. Um, I, I do think I really struggle personally when other people aren't picking it up, right? When you're hmm. setting a good example and somebody's not following 
or somebody takes advantage of your, uh, your service or your, your goodwill, right? Like sometimes players don't pick that up. Some don't have the maturity to, some don't have the self-awareness to, um, and not, it's not just players. It can be coaches as well. Uh, fortunately I haven't worked with any coaches at the professional level who struggle with that, but, um, then, then you got to figure out, okay, how can I step it up a bit and be firm and, um, and handle this difficult situation? How, how can I handle this confrontation? Well, right. Hmm. Um, I don't love confrontation. Hmm. That's not true. Sometimes I really love confrontation. Uh, there are certain types of confrontation that are, are not enjoyable, right? Um, and that's where um, you got to hope that you've been leading the right way uh, to handle those, those situations. So, um, you know, we've, as we talk about servant leadership, I think there are some people who could maybe misunderstand it as like, oh, he's just being soft. Like players are just going to walk all over you. Not if you handle it the right way. And I don't have all the answers for it. I'm still young. I'm still um, developing my own leadership philosophy. But uh, being allowing players or uh, any individuals to walk all over you is not part of serving leadership. Uh, you still got to be firm. You still got to be strong. Now, uh, maybe the difference in an ego driven leader is that if you push back at me instead of um, handling it appropriately, it might be how dare you push back at me and, and you go at this person, right? You get defensive and you're in attack mode as, as a defense mechanism. Yeah. A servant leader can say, all right, um, what's making you feel this way? Um, let me try and understand your perspective. Let me pra see if I can practice some empathy to understand how we can address this together instead of, okay, no, you're going to bend to my will now. Um, I think that's, that's sometimes where it can be tough. Um, when somebody tests your patience, can you stay calm, cool, and collected and continue to approach it with humility? Or in that moment of frustration and anger, does your ego start coming to the forefront? Hmm. Hmm. And I think it's human nature in a, a lot of ways, whether it's our own insecurities, or our defense mechanisms to let that ego come to the forefront when we're angry or when we've been pushed, you know, pushed back with at. Um, and so I, like anybody else I've struggled, I've had my struggles with that. Yeah. And you have your moments where you're like, you get asked why enough. And you're like, because I said so, dude. Hmm. Like, just do it already. Well, you can't do that. Like, that doesn't work. Especially, like, with pros, it really doesn't work. Um, so, um, I think being able to kind of manage your own emotions. Hmm. Um, being able to practice patience trying to understand another person's perspective, practicing that empathy. Um, that can be a challenge. That's a challenge for anybody. So I, I still challenge, I like I'm still challenged by that, 
but uh you know that that was a lesson i i was probably taught when you and i were working together coach Braun, we we had a player that tested my patience every day it was a battle with him right yeah. and you probably know exactly what i'm talking about mm-hmm. and coach Braun taught me that we don't we can't just start arguing with this dude it's not my way or the highway with this kid we need to understand this kid where's he coming from yeah. Where does this behavior come from? Why is he behaving this way? Um, and Coach Brian started kind of teaching me that lesson. Uh, I probably took it for granted at the time, and it wasn't until later that I looked back and said, "Yo, this is a this is a great example of what Coach Brian was teaching me. That was a tremendous thing that he did, right?" Um, I think as coaches, we like to assume that we know what's going on in a player's mind. Um, we like to fill in the blanks with our own answers to why they're behaving the way they do instead of taking the time to speak to them about why they're feeling the way they feel. And so these are things that uh, I'm learning and trying to put into practice. You know, I still, I have not been a head coach. Uh, So the challenge for me uh, when that opportunity comes will be making sure that I can balance everything and still um, stick to my leadership philosophies in a constant way. It's been, it's been good working for guys who have been able to do that. It's really kind of fostered that, uh, approach in, in my own, like in my own, uh, coaching style. And, um, so we'll, we'll see hopefully sooner rather than later how I handle it in a head coaching situation. But, um, you know, that, that leadership that I've, uh, experienced firsthand in recent years, I think is preparing me for that. Of everything that you've shared here today, Ben, what, what piece of all of this has been most important for you? What are you hoping that listeners walk away with from today? Uh, just the importance of, um, investing in other success and investing in everybody's success, uh, empowering everybody in the program, um, will lift it. It helps everybody. So if you're willing to put your ego aside, serve other people, help them find success, help them feel empowered, help them improve. Uh, that ultimately that helps everybody. Um, I, I stress, I think I mentioned it earlier, what Henry Domerson always says, uh, a rising tide lifts all ships. So be that rising tide that, that lifts everybody up, empowers everybody, and makes everybody collectively uh, a stronger unit. I think in doing that, um, and prioritizing other success, naturally you you find success in the process. Awesome. And we started our conversation uh, here today. You'd highlighted putting ego aside, humility. We've also touched on empowerment, empathy, genuine communication, vulnerability, selflessness. If you had to use one word, one phrase to describe servant leadership, what would that be? 
Uh, humility. Yeah. Um, putting, realizing that your interests are no more important than anybody else's. Awesome. Humility. I'm not above anybody else. Ben, I'm grateful for this conversation. I'm grateful to be with you here today. Thank you. Man, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. You'll find resources from this episode to continue your learnings on servant leadership in the show notes. Next week's episode features a conversation with Charles Ament, head men's basketball coach at Langham Creek High School in Houston, Texas. Coach Ament has been the head coach of the Lobos since 2007, and his tenure features 10 playoff appearances and six 21 seasons. Subscribe now, share with others, and I'd love to hear from you. Rate and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or reach out with questions, reflections, and feedback via social media. You can find me on Twitter, at Adam Gearlock, or Instagram, at Adam.Gearlock, or email me at Adam at AdamGCoaching.com. I'm so excited to continue to explore servant leadership and share love in basketball with you. Thank you.